Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. Everywhere that Jesus went, he was touching people. People who nobody else wanted to touch. Sick people, diseased people, outcast people, dead people, children, women, slaves, on and on and on. Why did Jesus prioritize touch? Well, scripture resounds with this message. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love. But God didn't want people to only know this. God wanted them to feel this, to be able to feel that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, rich in love. Now the question comes, where in your body do you carry your anxiety, your stress, your suffering, your anger, your fear? Is it in your mind? Does your mind just spin with this stuff? Is it in your chest? Does your chest get tight? Does your heart race? Is it in your guts? They get tied up in knots, irritable bowels. Is it it in your joints? They get achy. When things aren't going well internally for you, what is it that happens in your body? For me, uh, it's all around my my neck and my my jaw, my throat. Uh, my, My C2 vertebrae goes out. My throat feels tight. My jaw feels tight, locks up. My face muscles feel tight. For you, where is it in your body? Where do you feel that suffering, that struggle, that stress? I want to ask you as we start out just to close your eyes and to put your hands or hand if you're driving uh, on that place on your body. I want to ask you to take a breath in and a long, slow exhale. And imagine what it feels like for God to be gracious. What does it feel like in your body for that grace to touch this sensation? What does it feel like for God to be merciful? For God to be slow to anger? For God to be abounding in love. And that's that's where we started our service on Sunday. So I'm inviting you to start there. Before we jump into the rest of our sermon. So here's the rest of it.
What's the difference between the cover stories that we tell people and the inner truth of our experience? In his best-selling book, The Body Keeps the Score, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk explores the relationship between our emotions and our bodies when we encounter traumatic experiences. And van der Kolk points out that these two different types of stories come from two different ways of knowing. And these two different ways of knowing are localized in different parts of the brain that are largely disconnected from each other, he says. So you've got the language center of the brain, which is far removed from where we experience ourself. Cover stories are created for public consumption. They may be an assortment of some of the basic facts around our experience and we tend to memorize our cover stories and so if we tell a cover story often enough we almost start to believe that the cover story contains the complete truth about us and the complete truth about our experience but it's rarely the case the way we experience a situation deep inside the inner truth of our experience well that's another story so Our most intense emotions aren't only in our head, they're in our heart and in our guts. Through the pneumogastric nerve, our entire body is affected by our most intense emotions. Vander Kolk says that our bodies can become physically restricted when our emotions are bound up inside of us. Anger and fear get bound up inside of our bodies. Harvard research psychologist Jerome Kagan says that this task of describing our most private experiences, trying to get these experiences into words, it can be likened to reaching down in a deep well, trying to pick up small, fragile crystal figures while you are wearing thick leather mittens. (laughs) Sounds tough. So when we face experiences that overwhelm our ordinary means of coping, when we're pushed to our limits, when we feel completely out of control, words sometimes fail. It's like the experience lies outside of language. It's hard to describe something when it feels like the world just no longer makes sense and meaning has collapsed, when it feels like God might be on the side of your oppressors. And so there's a reason that we say, man, I don't feel like I'm able to capture what this experience is really like for me. Or there's a reason we say that experience was just unspeakable. And when we go through intense experiences, traumatic experiences, One of the speech centers of the brain, the Broca's area, can literally go offline, which means you literally cannot put your feelings and your thoughts into words. Uh, So, for instance, uh, Bessel van der Kolk tells the story of his widowed aunt. She would come on frequent visits to see him, and she would busy herself 
rearranging shelves, seeing clothes, making curtains, talking very little. So she'd stay a few days, and then Bessel would drive her to the airport, and she would give him a stiff goodbye, and meanwhile the tears would stream down her face. And as the tears streamed down her face at the airport, she would complain. She'd say, man, this wind is so cold at the airport. It's making my eyes water. Her body could feel the sadness of leaving her closest living relatives, but her mind could not register that same truth. And so Bessel van der Kolk says, that psychiatrists call this alexithymia, uh, people who cannot identify what they're feeling, and so they confuse action and emotion. Like there's this disconnect between their head and their body. They look furious, but they deny being angry. Or they look terrified, but they claim to be fine. And so rather than feeling angry or sad, they experience muscle pain, bowel irregularities, other symptoms. When you encounter suffering, when you encounter pain in your life, it can be really difficult to feel what that actually feels like and to simultaneously articulate those feelings accurately to someone else. It's hard to feel it and articulate it. And so instead, we simply use our cover story. Now, it's with that introduction that today we're jumping back into the silence of Jonah, our series through the book of Jonah. If you're just picking up with us, I'd recommend going back and listening to the two previous Jonah sermons just so that you're up to speed. So, in the book of Jonah, where we're at, God has spoken to Jonah, but Jonah has not yet spoken. And throughout the book, Jonah is stunningly silent. Jonah represents an entire community who carried the inner truth of an experience with the people of Nineveh. You see, Nineveh had left a mark on the collective identity of every Jewish person. I don't think it's off base to look at the audience who first read the book of Jonah and say they were a community who had collectively experienced trauma. These words, Nineveh, Assyria, because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, these words likely brought up real images, real stories from family members, real experiences, brought up sounds and smells, sensations, flashbacks that caused hearts to race and bodies to tense up. Slavery, hooks driven through jaws, scars, torture, murder, children tossed off cliffs, deportation, exile, people living under an oppressive empire, These were people who had witnessed the horror and the brutality of Nineveh, Assyria, the most oppressive empire in the day firsthand. Traumatic experiences can cause 
intense fear, feelings of helplessness, loss of control, annihilation, the assumptions that we used to have about safety and control and justice all crumble. And so when an entire community goes through trauma together, their identity gets wrapped up in their communal memories of the event. It's no surprise that we find the prophet Nahum writing a treatise against Nineveh, calling Nineveh a city of blood and lies and plunder full of victims and piles of dead bodies. You can start to connect with the way Jonah and the ancient Israelites really felt about Nineveh and Assyria, like all Assyrians need to die. You can connect with how they would feel that way. Because Nineveh didn't only represent a cover story. Nineveh carried a depth of experience that ran deeper than words. It was a deeply personal word. It experiences and feelings and stories bound up in Jonah's body and in Jonah's community. And so when God's word came to Jonah, saying, Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach to it, on behalf of it, because its wickedness has come up before me, Jonah ran. He didn't respond with words. He responded with his body. He paid the cost of an entire ship bound for Tarshish. He tried to escape to the farthest, most exotic corner of the world, a journey that would take him away for years and years. And so we pick up in... Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, and it tells us that Jonah went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to abate the waters. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up! Call on your God! Perhaps he'll take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. They asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Trauma causes people to be unable to separate that was then from this is now. Every new experience is contaminated by the past. And so people who have gone through trauma have no way to make meaning of their their Nineveh memories because it feels like Nineveh is still happening. And so in their efforts to shut off those terrifying sensations, 
People look for ways to deaden their capacity to feel fully alive. They try to numb themselves. They try to mask their emotional distress. And so throughout the book, we see Jonah wanting to die. Now the question comes, did Nineveh need to hear from Jonah? Or did Jonah need to face Nineveh? Or was it both? And and what would it take for Jonah to face Nineveh? But we're getting ahead of ourselves. By highlighting Jonah's trauma and a community identified by trauma, we aren't writing a free pass for Jonah. We are not excusing his actions, but we are exploring some of the dynamics that possibly underlie a story like this, and more importantly, the dynamics that are underneath our own experiences. You see, Trauma isn't only something that happens to veterans of war. Before the age of 18, two-thirds of people in the U.S. experience some kind of an adverse traumatic event. Before the age of 18, over 25% of people have been, this is in the U.S., have been pushed, grabbed, slapped, had things thrown at them that left marks. One out of seven has experienced emotional neglect from their parents. One out of 11 has experienced physical neglect from their parent or their caregiver. One out of five has witnessed violence in the home or the neighborhood in the past year. One out of four grew up with alcoholic relatives. And one out of five, I don't even like saying this one, has experienced sexual molestation. That's that's before the age of 18. One out of three couples in the U.S. engage in physical violence. Th- this data comes from like the ACEs study, the CDC, Bessel van der Kolk, and it's disturbing, saddening. Most important. We are looking at how does God work with us through the silence, through the hatred, through the depression, the drug abuse, the unwanted pregnancies, the anxiety, the suicidal tendencies that traumatic experiences cause. And so in the Jonah story, if there's trauma involved in this story, we find Jonah asleep. And the language doesn't describe ordinary sleep. It's it's more like a trance or the sleep that comes before death when when the entire world feels dangerous. We find Jonah asleep. He's trying to seal himself off from it all. His world is becoming smaller and smaller and narrower and narrower until he's completely alone in his world. And so the first human to speak in the entire book is the captain of the ship. And he's shaking Jonah awake and he's saying, what is going on with you? How can you sleep so soundly? Get up. 
Call on your God. Perhaps he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. Now, in a polytheistic pagan world where people believe in many gods, the sailors all believe that someone's God had sent the storm. But the question was, whose God is it? Which God? Why is this God sending this storm? And so rather than believing in one God who's active everywhere, it's like they have all these different gods who control different aspects of the world and different regions. You got, you know, is it the weather God? Is it the sea God? Is it this region or that region? Who's Which God is angry? So they're all crying out to their own God because they're thinking it's one of us. It's our God who's, who's angry at us. And they're at their wits end. They start hurling cargo into the sea. They're getting rid of the things that used to be their top priority, but now they're using those things as a sacrifice to whichever God is sending the storm. They're trying to appease whichever deity it might be. It's not just about like we've got to lighten the boat. Uh, in, in ancient thought, this is like uh, maybe this will settle the God down, whoever it is who's coming after us. And so the the captain is asking Jonah, won't you pray too? Jonah paid for the whole voyage, and Jonah disregards the captain's authority. He disregards what everyone else on the boat is going through. His only response to the captain is silence. And so, yeah, on the one hand, the, the irony, the satire is thick. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Like, of course, how absurd for the sailors of all these different cultures, these different religions, to be crying out to their gods. And the irony of begging a prophet of the Lord to pray, but he refuses. So yeah, you've got the irony and the satire. But on the other hand, we have to remember that words sometimes fail. And some experiences lie outside of language it's really hard to find words when it feels like the world no longer makes sense and meaning has collapsed. When it feels like God might be on the side of your oppressors. And so, meanwhile, the sailors turn to their pagan magic. They're trying to find out who offended which God. And so they start casting lots Everyone puts an object in a container. It gets shaken until an object comes out and uh, see who that belongs to. And so the, the object that pops out belongs to Jonah. And so now they're barraging him with questions. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And Jonah didn't answer all of their questions. He certainly didn't tell them the deep inner truth of his experience. What we have in the Jonah story, he gives them his cover story. That's what he gives them. And it's the first time that Jonah speaks in the entire book. And he says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now that cover story certainly doesn't tell the complete truth of his inner experience. Yeah, he claims to fear or worship God, 
But that doesn't begin to explain the depth of feeling that is involved in running away from God uh, when, when God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. So, yeah, Jonah might say that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love. Because later in the book, chapter 4, verse 2, he does say that. But Jonah is not feeling that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. His body is not connecting with that reality. He cannot feel that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so the sailors hear this answer, and now they're truly terrified. Because what they hear is, oh, this isn't a local God. This is not a local God who controls the weather. Uh, This is a God. We already see what's happening. And now you're telling us he's in charge everywhere. Uh, He made the sea and the dry land. And so, of course, they're like, what have you done? And once again, silence. Like, how can Jonah answer that question? How can he speak his trauma and the collective trauma of his people? And shouldn't the question be, no, what has Nineveh done? But the sea's getting rougher. It's getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah answers with the same logic that they are applying to their own pagan deities. It's sacrifice. Just throw the cargo overboard. And so now he becomes the sacrifice. Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. It will become calm. To Jonah, it feels like God is on the side of the oppressors. It feels like God is no better than these people's pagan gods, appeased by sacrifices and and human suffering. And so he's like, just make me a sacrifice. And Jonah says, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It's Jonah expressing the way he truly feels about God and about himself. It's my fault. When people go through trauma and intense suffering, underneath it, they they often despise themselves for their own inability to feel and to cope and to access words that actually capture their inner experience. And it's a lot of shame. It's all my fault. I just want to die. Throw me over. Now we're going to pause the story here today and just leave it hanging so that we have time to reflect on what God was doing in the midst of this experience. So I want to invite you to think about how God works similarly in your own life and in the world around you. You see, We experience physical or emotional harm. We experience deep suffering. Your parents divorce. Your your business fails. Someone you trusted stabbed you in the back. A family member cut you off. A loved one tragically dies. You experience abuse. You are ashamed 
and rejected. And you get all locked up internally. Your true emotions around the event become blocked up inside of you. And the last thing you feel capable of is looking deep into your own heart. You try to numb yourself to the truth of your inner experience. You descend into silence. You, you try to escape. And, and yeah, you have cover stories. But when the entire world feels dangerous, you're sealing yourself off from it. Cover stories is all that you will give to people. And cover stories may be all you really feel capable of accessing. And this is Jonah. He's able to speak of God, but he's unable to feel that God is gracious and merciful. And this is Jonah's community, whose trauma has caused them to lose touch with God's nature. And this is so many people who become locked up internally. They have no words. They're struggling to articulate what's actually going on inside of their heart. And so God responds first in this story by helping Jonah to feel. And what we have in the story, this is where God sends a great wind upon the sea. And this is the storm. It doesn't work to try to use your cognitive, rational brain to talk your body out of how it feels. Somehow what we need is to connect externally with what's going on internally. Our thinking and our feeling need to come together. The inner truth of our experience and our words need to come together. And so God reflects back to Jonah what Jonah is feeling. And that's the storm in this story. God gives Jonah a physical, external way to experience a reflection of what's happening internally inside of him. The real storm is internal. Internally, underneath the silence, is where it really feels like the ship might break apart. That's where it feels like the world no longer makes sense and meaning has collapsed and it feels like God is on the side of the oppressors. And Jonah needs help acknowledging what the suffering and the loss caused by Nineveh actually feels like. It feels like chaos. It feels like a storm. And so, yeah, you could say that the storm is God redirecting Jonah uh, towards Nineveh. It's God limiting Jonah's options. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it's God reflecting back to Jonah what Jonah's feeling, and helping Jonah feel his own storm. But God didn't only bring Jonah a storm. God used pagan sailors and their weird magic, the, the lot casting, to open Jonah up further. You see, Jonah wasn't ready to show his authentic spirituality to the Ninevites, he wasn't ready to consider what turning towards God might look like for them. And so God gave Jonah this experience with different pagans 
who are begging Jonah to be his authentic self. They're begging Jonah to show them his true spirituality and to tell them all about himself and all about his God. God gives Jonah this experience of pagans asking, what should we do? And I think it might be God's way of helping Jonah to feel this reality, that there are people out there who want to know the authentic you, and they want to know about your God, Jonah. Now, of course, Jonah didn't want to acknowledge what anyone else was going through. It's nearly impossible in the story for Jonah to acknowledge that there are people in Nineveh who are suffering and who need God because he's too locked up internally. And so God allows Jonah to encounter different pagans, not Ninevites, but different pagans who are in danger. They're suffering. They're doing everything humanly possible and they're crying out to their gods. And God is helping Jonah connect with the fact that, uh, buddy, we're all in the same boat. Like, it isn't just that Nineveh is dangerous or that the world is dangerous. It's that Nineveh is in danger and the world is in danger. We're all in the same boat. And so God's helping Jonah connect with uh, what shalom, what peace really is, which is my well-being is connected to your well-being. And so God gave Jonah these opportunities to listen to the pagans. Yeah, they might not know what the solutions are, but God is saying, Jonah, are you listening to what the pagans are saying the problem is? They're, they're, there's a problem, and they're telling him about it, and they're asking him for help, and they're doing everything humanly possible, but the ship is breaking apart. And yeah, if this is a picture of our world, there are non-Christians who are afraid that the ship is about to break up and they're trying to shake Christians awake. They're begging them to do something. And so there is this question, Christians, are you, are you listening to what non-Christians are saying the problems are in this world? Yeah, they might not know what the solutions are. But are you recognizing that sometimes God uses pagans to, to pull us out of our own indifference? Are you acknowledging what everyone else is going through and uh, facing that? Or are you just trying to seal yourself off from what other people are going through? Like, just sleep through the storm. Are you recognizing that we're all in the same boat here? So I want to close today. <clears throat> asking you to close your eyes, to put your hand on that place on your body where you carry your suffering, where you carry your struggle and your stress and your anxiety. This is where we began the spinning mind or the racing heart, the tight chest, the knotted guts, the tight jaw. Close your eyes, put your hand on that place and take a deep breath in and then slowly exhale. What's the cover story? 
that you're telling people about your struggle, your, your pain, your anxiety, your stress? What's the story that you've memorized so that you can explain things to people? Go to that place. Now I want to ask you to go deeper than that. What's the inner truth of your experience? What's the complete truth about your experience? How does this experience make you feel? The, the place that's deeper than the words. And what do those feelings cause you to believe and assume about yourself, about the world, about God? Go to that place. Everywhere Jesus went, he was touching people. He was letting them feel that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love. So I want to invite you, if you're open to it, to touch that place where you carry these feelings in your body but not just you. I want you to invite Jesus to touch that place and imagine that this isn't just your hand, but that Jesus is touching you and feel Jesus' hands. Going deeper than your cover story, Jesus is touching the feelings that are deeper than the words. The, the complete truth of the experience, the things that you've come to assume or believe about yourself, about the world, about God, and feel flowing out of Jesus' hands and into your body is a new feeling. It's flooding your cover story. It's running down into the deepest parts of your inner experience. This feeling that God is gracious, that God is merciful, God is slow to anger, God is abounding in love. Sit with that feeling. Soak it in.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.